Life Christian Centre is a church located in the city of Adelaide. It is made up of people from different backgrounds and walks of life who have been transformed through a relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us online at www.life-church.com.au So good to have you in church this morning. So good to be able to gather uh, and to be able to sing and worship together, but also uh, to be able to go to the Word of God. Well, it's a pleasure to have uh, Dr. Alan Meyer with us this morning. Uh, for those that don't know, Dr. Alan is married to Helen, and together they've been pastors and leaders and done an incredible work uh, and influence in our nation of Australia. They've written a whole bunch of programs. One of the most familiar to this church in particular is the Valiant Man program, uh, which is helping many men overcome sex- sexual addiction, and we still run some of that from time to time here. He's a great communicator of the Word of God. You know, in Australia, uh, we could invite a lot of speakers, um, but I try, as a leadership, we try to be intentional about who we bring out and particularly bring people out that I believe can speak into the life of this church. And Dr. Alamai is definitely one of the, the people that every time he's visited, it's always been a word in season, and it's a word that has lifted us as a church. So I know that God is going to speak to us today. He's an incredible man of God. He's a great friend. He's trying to be an Italian, but, you know, he just, just, it's just not stacking up. But anyway, we're, we're working on We're praying for him. Would you give him a big, big, big warm welcome as he comes to share the word today? Thanks, mate. I appreciate you. Thank you. Bless your heart. Made a bad mistake this morning trying to use my Italian um, with those who are serving down in the cafe. They asked, would I like something? And I said, I, I think I'd like a chip a letter. Um, that is not a donut, apparently. It's a small onion. <coughs> Um, what did I want? I wanted a zip bolle, zip bolle. Yeah. So if someone could slip out and ask for a zippola, I'd be very appreciative because the chipoletta just didn't cut it. I need to know. <clears throat> I want to talk to you this morning about uh, some of the most helpful moments in my own personal life as I have touched things that have really developed breakthrough moments. With God. I want to talk to you from 1 Timothy chapter 4. It's a very simple text. The Bible says, Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. I'm not sure what an old wives' tale actually is, unless she's telling on her husband. And then, of course, that's none of my business. <clears throat> Rather, he says, Train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value. But godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. I want to talk to you a little bit about developing your personal divine DNA. There's two big factors involved in developing who you are. The first is what's been planted in you by creation. That's your DNA. The fact is you can't be anything. You can only be what you are. If I had a passion to be part uh, of the gold medal winning women's hockey team, I'm going to have a serious problem. Uh, even if I try identifying as a woman, they're simply not going to let me in because I don't have the right DNA. It doesn't qualify. Uh, the reality is if I wanted to be a professional golfer, I should have chosen my father more carefully 
I've got some DNA that works for golf, but I should have chosen Greg Norman for my father because then I would have started with the necessary DNA that could have been developed into something great. I just didn't get it. And the reality is, if it's not in you, it doesn't matter how hard you try or how much you practice, you can't develop what you don't have. But if you do have the DNA, <clears throat> if you have something planted in you, then what you practice becomes incredibly important. If you have the DNA to be a pianist, but no one ever introduces you to a piano, it'll be a tragedy because there's so much in you that no one will ever get to see. But if we put you in front of a piano and you begin to discover that somehow this all makes sense to you, then if you will practice, you can be brilliant. You can take what God has planted in you and you can develop it. And this is what Paul is saying. I want you to train yourself for godliness. Now, the significance of DNA is it's the way God thinks. When Jesus told us the parable about the sower, he said, I want you to understand something about the parable of the sower. A farmer went out to sow and he sowed his seed. Now, seed is the way God thinks. <clears throat> From the beginning of creation, the Bible says everything that God created has its own seed. And from the seed, you can guarantee what the outcome will be. If you plant the right seed, inside a seed is nothing more than a package of DNA and it's some instructions that will produce a most certain outcome. But the problem is you do have to put it in the right environment. It doesn't necessarily unpack unless you put it in the right environment. When Jesus said a farmer went out to sow, he then added to that the secrets or the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you. God thinks in terms of seed. And then one of the most wonderful things he says about anyone who has come to trust him is found in 1 John 3. No one who has been born of God will go on and on, continue in their sin, or go on and on in their old ways. Why? Because God's seed, God's sperma, has been planted. It remains in them. And they cannot go on and on and on in their old ways because they have been conceived and brought to birth by God. God has a character. And the wonder of seed is that it's a, it's a portion, it's a package. Now, my father conceived me. God took 50% of my father's DNA and planted it in my mother's womb. And compared with her DNA and his DNA, here I am today. Now, fortunately, on the day of my conception, I wasn't this big. <clears throat> I was much, much smaller. But God planted it in a womb. And the womb is the right environment for new conception. So all we had to do was make sure that womb didn't get disturbed. And those two seeds, the ovum and the sperm, when they came together, there was a description of a human being. And all we had to do was make sure it didn't die. Because if we could put in the right environment, the instructions in the sperm and the ovum would then begin to unpack themselves. Over time, it became obvious my mother was pregnant. And nine months down the track, she gave birth. And then there was another manifestation of DNA. Now, still, it wasn't as magnificent as this frame that you see paraded before you 
today. <clears throat> it was a partial demonstration. That little baby called Alan had no teeth. Fortunately, there were teeth in the DNA. And all we had to do was make sure Alan didn't die. And we fed him and eventually teeth would come. Alan didn't have much hair. I'm starting to lose a bit now. But it was in the DNA. <clears throat> Uh, we didn't know how, what size Alan would be because most babies are born somewhere between about five, six or seven pounds and you have to hang around for a while to see what's in that DNA. But if you can keep the child alive and if you can keep the child healthy, what's in the DNA will unpack and over time, whatever was seeded in gets an opportunity for expression. You can't put something in that was not there in conception. You can only be who you are and you can only train up what God has put in you. But when it comes to your new birth, when it comes to the creation, the new creation that you are because of Jesus, God has planted a fragment of his own DNA in here, in your innermost being, in your spirit. God has taken, the Bible describes it in this verse as sperma. No one who has been born of God will continue to go on and on in their sin, present continuous sense, because God's sperma, a fragment of his own character is in you. Now the question becomes, what will you do with what you have been given? And this is where choices and environment become critical. You can't put it in if it wasn't there from the beginning, but you can develop what has been planted within you. And so it becomes really important to ask, well, what do I do to develop the God thing that has been planted inside me? I want to tell you some of the most critical moments in my life that mean I'm here talking to you today, not somewhere else, wandering in the earth, doing something and not sure what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm here today sharing the word of God with you because there were key moments in which I introduced uh, deliberately into the diet and the behaviors of my life, stuff that allowed the God DNA to unpack because if you put DNA in the right environment, it will unpack without a lot of sweat and without a lot of white knuckling it and a lot of desperado trying to change who you are. It isn't that hard, but you do have to provide it with the right environment. <clears throat> if I was to produce a little salmon, tiny little uh, baby salmon and stick it in a glass of water, it will, you will never see the magnificence of what was in that DNA because it's not the right environment. If you put it in a bathtub, you'll see a little more of it, but you will never see what was in the DNA of a salmon till you put it in the river and let it swim and let it do what it was created to do. Then 25-pound screamer will one day be there because it was in the DNA. God wants the God stuff in you to expand and increase and unpack so now becomes the question, well, how do I train up myself for godliness? How does that DNA unpack? Fortunately, Dallas Willard's written a lot of books on this stuff and really helped us to understand some of the exercises involved in seeing that DNA unpack. Here's the first one. 
The one that perhaps was most critical for me was the one I would describe as study. Engaging with the written and the spoken word of God, Jesus said, my words are spirit and my words are life. God's planted a spirit in you and Jesus said, my words are spirit and my words are life. <clears throat> as a young school teacher, I went out to the very first appointment at Lilydale High School in 1970. I was 22 years of age and I had a call of God upon my life. But I was fear-filled. I was incompetent and incapable. I felt like God had called me and I was incapable of responding to that uh, opportunity. And it was terrifying to me to feel a call of God and have no ability to respond to it. Like being set a high jump that was way beyond my ability to perform. Fortunately, however, God had arranged an encounter for me. And on the very first day when I arrived at Lilydale High School, I met another man who had just arrived in Australia as an emigrant from London. He'd been part of the congregation of one of the greatest periods, of greatest preachers of the last century, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who preached for 30-odd years in Westminster Chapel in London, wrote many books. He introduced me to the works of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Now, I had read my Bible uh, ever since I was a kid. <clears throat> the problem with reading the Bible is you may not necessarily be able to make that much sense out of it or draw from it everything that's in it because you just lack the tools and you lack the experience. And if that's you, I can say to you, read your Bible, and it's an important thing to say, but sometimes you need to read books that explain the Bible until you've got enough of a framework in you to be able to make the full sense of what's there in the Bible. <clears throat> My senior minister said when he first, uh, Hal Oxley in Melbourne, when I came onto his staff, uh, he said when he first became a Christian, all he did for the first two years was to read the Bible. And he said at the end of two years, I had notebooks filled with a whole bunch of contradictory ideas that I developed from the Bible because I had no framework. I didn't know what to do or how to process what I was reading. So I had a lot of information, but not much of it made a lot of sense. And that's exactly where I was. I'd grown up in church, but I still didn't have much of a framework within me to make sense of the Bible. As a result, when uh, Ron introduced me to the works of Martin Lloyd-Jones, I bought a book. It was on the book of Romans chapters 3 and 4. I took it home and I began to read one sermon every night. I thank God for that moment because there were questions in my heart I had never been able to frame. But as I read my way through that book, I came across one sentence that changed my understanding forever. As I read on Romans chapters 3 and 4, the book called Justification, he made this statement. It is not easy for God to forgive sin. Now, I'd been going to church all my life. And that was kind of contradictory to everything that I'd come to kind of expect to hear from someone preaching about God and forgiveness and the Bible. But finally, it clarified for me something I had never been able to frame or put into words. Why would Jesus Christ need to be born of a virgin born under the law, born as a human being, live, up in live in obedience to the law and then be crucified in my place. 
And in that one sentence, it's not easy for God to forgive sin. I suddenly saw everything. I realized the problem that sin didn't just present to me. It was the problem it presented to God. For God in his holiness has excluded Satan from heaven and will never allow him back in because God is the author of holiness and righteousness and the way he expresses it is simply by saying the soul that sins shall die. The wages of sin is death. And suddenly I realized it wasn't easy for God to forgive sin. In order for forgiveness to happen, God would need to do the most extraordinary creative piece of redemption. All of the story of the Bible suddenly made sense. And from that moment, I wanted to be a preacher. I thought, you mean you could go to church all your life and never get that? You, you bet. That was me. 22 years old. Been going to a Bible-believing church all my life. And that question had never presented itself to me. And as a result, I never really got the point. But in that moment, I understood how desperately I needed Jesus Christ, how, how extraordinarily valuable the cross was, how I could never find a substitute for the life of Jesus or a substitute for the cross, and I signed up on the spot. I said to God, people have to hear this. Everybody needs a chance to hear this at least once in their life. And from that moment, I found myself sold out to want to serve the Lord. I came home, I I was a teacher of course, and that one chapter in that book just forever, just answered a question and set me on a path to want to serve God for the rest of my life. I was working in a pub to earn a little bit extra money in in the meantime and I had the book lying beside my bed. And I went off to serve, to, to serve drinks and stuff in the hotel where I was working at the time. Forgive me if those of you who are teetotalers. Came home and I could hear my wife crying up in the bedroom. And I made my way up to the bedroom to find out what was wrong. And she was sitting up in bed and she was reading the same book. Martin Lloyd-Jones, Romans chapters 3 and 4 on justification. And in, I don't think it was the same page, but it was in that same book that her heart was broken. And as she sat there in bed reading the same book I was reading, um, her, she sold out for God too. Which means I have never had to follow God and drag my wife with me. She read the same book. It caused her to want to serve God. We've been on the same page ever since. And I want to say to you today that there may be some of you that aren't perhaps growing as fast as you could, even though perhaps you read the Bible quite regularly. Maybe you need to to add to your diet some books that would explain to you the Bible. If you talk to your pastor about the area in which you most need help, I'm sure he could help you to engage and study. Because as you study, if you can study the words of life, something in here in your DNA could come to life like it did in mine. And suddenly you find yourself, it's not so hard to run after God as it was before because something has come alive. Your DNA has connected with spirit and it's connected with life. Get yourself. Now, by the way, it's important who you read. Um, I I would not run out and just run straight to the next Christian bookstore and start trying to consume 
everything that you can get your hands on. It matters what you feed children. I mean, it matters that you don't tax or uh, turn the, the system of little kids toxic. You need to feed them the right stuff and exercise them on the right stuff. Ask some questions. But that may be you. It may be today that your future becoming a, a person who exercises himself under godliness could be that what the decision you need to make today is I need to read more. I need to get some decent books and start reading because if you do, something in here will connect with the power and the grace of God and you'll be a different person a year from today. If that's you, you've got a decision to make. You say, I've got to go get a book. I was up in your pastor's office before. He's got far too many books. In fact, I'm concerned if he gets any more books, he won't be able to find the ones he's already got. I guarantee you he can show you or lend you a book that could change your life. The Bible says in the early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And it may be that some of you here today, that's the choice you need to make. Well, let me take you to the next one. The next exercise in engaging with God can be found in the issue of worship, engaging in the greatness and the beauty and the goodness of God. It's, an it's a vital thing to understand that worship is a way of exercising spiritual warfare. Now, in my early years, I found myself attacked by a demonic thing that wanted to kind of crush all the joy and life out of me. It happened when I was, first, when I was 19 years of age. It was like being hit by a black truck. I was standing in the front yard of my, of, of my home. It was a March. It was a balmy evening in March. And it was like a black truck rolled over the top of me. And I suddenly felt uh, dark and hopeless. And I felt I'll never be happy again. And that thing rolled on in me for the, over the next years until I learned the power of spiritual warfare in worship. That dark shadow overcame me. It was in Bible college that one of my lecturers said to me, one of the things that the Bible tells us about wells is that the enemy loves to stuff up the well with junk. And one of the best ways that you can clear out the junk in your own well and allow a sense of liberty to develop, he said, is you've got to blast it out with worship. I remembered that one day taking my guitar when I was feeling this dark presence and this kind of sense of hopelessness and disappointment and stuff and I picked up my guitar and I began to sing Psalm 103 bless the Lord oh my soul and all that is within me bless his holy name he has done great things he has done great things he has done great things bless his holy name and I hit the guitar bless the it, within five minutes I had discovered one of the secrets for me in exercising myself unto godliness and that was to blast out the well and shift the atmosphere it's a wonderful skill to learn if you ever learn it you can save yourself a lot of misery the capacity to shift an atmosphere, to learn to shift it by aggressive, faith-filled worship. One of the things that's always distressed me a lot as a pastor 
has been that uh, I used to lead worship a lot in our own church. And because you, you, you lead it from the front, you can see everybody. And I would often realize that so many of God's people, they, they kind of don't so much get actively into worship as that they kind of wait for it to pass. We're waiting for the next bit to happen. One of the most potent insights you will ever learn is the power of shifting an atmosphere in your own heart, shifting an atmosphere in your own home by aggressive worship. And maybe if you're not a great singer, there's many ways of doing it. And one of the ways, we've all got music one way or another, fill your home with music and let it go up a little bit loud and then do your best to sing along with it. As you worship uh, powerfully, you too can learn to shift an atmosphere, exercise yourself and develop that skill. Jesus met a woman at the well that was struggling with this, uh, this desperate need to somehow find the right man in her life and going from one broken marriage to another and now she was shacked up with a man that she wasn't even married to. Why? Because she felt empty and worthless and maybe getting the right man would fix that and Jesus came to her and said, God is searching for worshippers. And those that worship him need to do it in spirit and in truth with their mind and with their heart. And he there and that gave us one of the keys to this deep dry drivenness to being empty and trying to fill it with something else. Learn aggressive, powerful worship. It's an extraordinary skill and it can change your life. Let's go to number three. Service. Engaging uh, your, the, your assets, whether it be your home, your money, your gifts, your car, whatever it is, your assets, your gifts and your abilities in the active promotion of the good in others and the causes of God in our world. The DNA God has planted in you is activated profoundly by service. God is love and love is not a feeling. Love is a perspective on relationships. Love is a decision. It's a decision to so value something other than yourself that you're willing to exercise yourself. You're willing to move yourself to be a blessing on their part. Uh, love isn't a feeling. Love is a decision. It's a mindset. It's a set of values. Other, other lives are so valuable, I'm willing to expend myself in their service. Now, one of the reasons I'm here is because service changed my life. As a high school teacher and a call of God on his life, there came a moment in the unfolding presence of God in my heart that I began to feel a burden for the students of my school. And I thought, I can't know what I know and believe what I believe and do nothing. And my wife and I had only just moved into a brand new home. It was the biggest investment we would ever make. Now, for most of us, our own home is probably the biggest asset you will ever own. For some others, there's bigger assets. But in my life, there's no asset I've ever owned that has been of more value than that. And we'd only just moved into our own home. And I was searching around in the community to find an empty house to try to run a drop-in centre for the kids of my school. 
And my sister came to me and she said, the Lord spoke to me today and he's got a message for you. Al, this is what the Lord wants to say. Why are you looking for a house when you already have one? Now, I'd never thought of turning my own house into a drop-in centre, but suddenly it just made all kinds of sense. Of course, I don't need to go find a house. I've got a house. And the next week, I handed out invitations in the typing classes I was running, and I invited kids to come to my home on a Friday night, and 35 of them turned up. And that night, I got out my guitar, and you're lucky I don't sing you one of those songs, because <laughs> I can do it. <clears throat> I've just written a new song. People walking through this life as if it's never, ever going to end. Never thinking about this fact that we all must die, my friend. Making plans to last forever. Think we're going on and on. Never thinking about the judgment where we all must stand alone. Oh, it's a pretty powerful song. So I got up with all these 35 kids in my house and I said, look, God's at work in my life. And I want to sing you a song. And I sang the song. And then I said, look, if you are willing to use my house as a drop-in centre, it's open every Friday night, but you've got to listen to me for 15 minutes. You've got to be prepared to give me 15 minutes of your time. And from that night, a whole ministry was born. We'd have up to 100 kids in that house on a Friday night, and I would take out my Bible, and I would preach and sing him a song. And the reality is, because the DNA of God was in here to be a preacher, by service, I became what I am. I exercised myself. Now, maybe that's not your thing. But the reality is this. The DNA of God is in you to serve. And if you sit and rarely serve, you may never develop what's in you to the glory of God. The power of what God has put in you will begin to unpack itself. You can begin with your husband, your wife, and your kids. But then you can extend it to a neighborhood. You can extend it to areas that just work for the way God wired you up. You can't be somebody else. And you can't put it in if God didn't put it in you from your conception as a new creation. But what's in you can be developed as you honor it. And God loves to serve. The Bible says God is love and love is a decision. Jesus demonstrated when he said the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give himself as a ransom for everybody. And the fact is that spirit, that DNA has been planted in you. And if you never find a place of active service, you will never develop to the degree that God intends you to, to, to develop I encourage you, find a way. Talk to your pastor. Here I am. I don't know yet what all I could be, but, but where could I serve? Where could I get practice at allowing the God bit in me to engage in service? And I promise you, they'll probably be able to help you to do that. Now let me take you to the next one. The next one is the issue of prayer, conversing and communicating with God, and it deserves practice. In 1986, I was home one night. Uh, by this time, I was in full-time ministry, and a man came to my front door, and he said to me, God uh, told me to give you this. It was a packet with $600 in it. And he said, uh, God told me to come give you this money, $600, and he told me to tell you to do whatever you think is the right thing to do with it. And immediately, I knew what I wanted to do with that money. 
I'd heard about Yongi Cho and this huge church in Seoul, Korea. And I'd heard Yongi Cho preach when I was in 1977, when I was in Bible college. I thought, I'd just like to go and see it once in my life. So I took the money to my eldership and I said, look, someone's given me this 600 bucks. I'll put this into the kitty, send me to Seoul, Korea. And off they went. They sent me to Seoul, Korea, to one of Yongi Cho's world growth uh, congresses. And off I went. Um, it was an extraordinary experience. But the most important thing that came out of it was I sat for 40 minutes and I heard Dr. Larry Lee talk for uh, 40 minutes on how to use the Lord's Prayer as a framework for prayer. And it made so much sense. I came home and for the next seven years, I prayed the Lord's Prayer. I'd get up early in the morning and I'd pray the Lord's Prayer. One of the things that uh, is in the Lord's Prayer is give us this day our daily bread. And one of the things that uh, he taught you to do with that, don't just say the words, that, that there's an issue. What is it that you need? What do you need to go to God with over your finances? Now, at that time, I had built a house on an acre and a half in Lilydale. And at the back half of my, the back half acre of my block was trees and it was scrub. And I hated it because it wasn't easy to mow and it was a problem. And I just wanted to subdivide it and sell it and get out of debt. Um, the council wouldn't let me do that. They said, no, not subdividing, bad luck for you. But every day I used to stand there, in, in my, when I got to this bit, uh, give us this day our daily bread, I would stand at my study window and I'd lift my hands out over the half acre and I would crawl out to God and say, God, I pray that you would grant me the ability to sell that half acre at the back and get out of debt. I prayed that for nearly a year. One New Year's Eve, we had a party in our house for anyone who wanted to come. And towards the end of the night, this little couple came up to me quietly and they said, Pastor, we've got something for you. This doesn't happen to me often. I'm going to talk about money again. Uh, someone give me money. I'm just going to tell you, this doesn't happen a lot. Uh, I'm very grateful when it does, but it just doesn't happen a lot. Uh, this lovely couple came up and said, Pastor, we were praying and we felt God told us to give you this money, but you've got to give it back. And I thought, okay. She said, the Lord said, take this money and use it to get out of debt. And it was a check for $5,000. The moment they said that, use it to get out of debt, I knew what they were talking about. I've been praying this every morning. Lord, help me get out of debt. So I took my $5,000 and I began to plan the subdivision and the sale of that block of land. I thought it's never going to happen. I went off on a ministry trip to India. My wife said, do you mind if I kind of talk to a real estate agent about that block while you're away? I said, no, go right ahead. And someone had come up to me and offered me $40,000 for that half acre. And I thought, well, gee, that's amazing. I could get out of debt with that. And while I was away, she went to real estate and she said, Al, that's not worth $40,000. It's worth $90,000. $90 and I said, really? Yeah. She said, let's put it on the market. So we did. Right in the last week, just before we got the... Paul Keating um, bestowed recession that we all needed to desperately have back in 1989. That block sold and I was able to get out of debt, buy a house for, for a church in India, take my wife and my family on my first ministry trip to the United States where I did the search for intimacy for the first time in that environment. And by the grace of God, I watched God hear my prayer and turn it into an extraordinary result. It's part 
of why I have faith. Because I've seen prayers like that prayed in secret and then answered in the open. If you're going to train yourself to be godly, put prayer on your list. And let the grace of God demonstrate to you that God hears. But you can't just, don't just pray once. Learn to go to war in prayer and learn to believe God as you exercise this presence of God to change the world in which you live. Now I'm looking at the time. I've got three minutes left. The question is, how much more can I tell you in three minutes? Well, I'll, do, I'll have a crack at it. Fellowship. Fellowship is a choice. And so many of the great things that have unfolded in my life happen because of the relationships I've had with other people. So choose relationship. Not in the home group. You've just never made fellowship a choice. Oh, I don't know if I really want to. No, no, you don't get to do that. You see, you're part of a New Testament community. And in New Testament community, we choose fellowship. And if you choose it, God will put you with people uh, that can help you to hear the right things and experience things you would never have experienced on your own and he will train you for godliness in the miracle of fellowship one more confession confession one of the sad some of the saddest stories that you'll ever hear in christianity are the stories of great leaders that fell down and burned on the tarmac and didn't complete their ministry well one of those uh, ministries is a guy called ted haggard Ted was such a mover and a shaker in the, in the United States church. And suddenly he's on the, in the newspaper for all the wrong reasons. And afterwards he was honest enough to explain his own failure. He said this, I stopped confessing that I had a struggle in my life. I stopped sharing that with other people and I kept that dark secret locked up on the inside. The Bible says confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you might be, be healed. Part of the development of a godly heart is that you never run away from humility and you never run away from fellowship. And when you put humility and fellowship together, it results in confession. You tell people things that you'd rather not have to say. You tell people things that are the realities that you don't tell everybody, but there's somebody that needs to know. And when you tell them, you expose yourself to the grace of God. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and in due time, he will raise you up. For God resists the proud, but he has grace for the humble. And the power of confession is that it mixes together humility with fellowship. It's a wonderful thing to have. If you don't have fellowship, you're unlikely to confess. And it's one of the reasons when we set up our Life Keys ministry, the protocols and the group agreements meant that at least in this group, people could say anything out loud and know it will never be repeated outside this place. By the grace of God, Ted Haggard said, I stopped confessing. And when I stopped confessing, I was overcome by darkness. Oh, Ted. Such a good man. He's not a bad man. He's just a good man who, like most other people, had a challenge in his life that he just didn't want to keep on saying was a challenge. But by the grace of God, exercise yourself under godliness. You need never 
fail. Now, I could tell you lots more. I could tell you about frugality. I could tell you about sacrifice. And if I was here for one more uh, hour, I could tell you something about fasting and prayer. All of these are ways in which you can exercise yourself unto godliness. The question I want to ask you today, is there any of that list, that little menu that I've presented to you today, that you know in your heart this, he's talking, the Holy Spirit's talking to me. If only I would do this, if only I would embrace, if only I would choose to exercise myself. It's your responsibility to make some of these choices. God's put his DNA in you. Now the question is, what will you do with that? Will you exercise it? Will you put it in an environment where it gets a chance to grow and be revealed for what it is, where you feed the grace that is within you and exercise? They're the two keys to growth. You've got to feed and you've got to exercise. If you do that, you exercise yourself under godliness. And the Apostle Paul said to the young man, Timothy, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales, but rather train yourself in godliness. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for everything, holding promise for both this life and the life which is to come. Father, I pray this morning for my friends. I pray for their individual circumstances, for the individual call you have on every unique new creation. I want you to bow your head for a moment. <clears throat> I'm not even going to look because it's not my business. I don't need you to affirm my message because I just shared with you something straight out of the Bible. If God doesn't affirm it, I, I can't help you. But there are some of you heard it today and you know one of those things is, is what you need. You need to You've just got to uh, deliberately put this in your life in a way that you haven't been doing. And I'm, I'm not going to look, but I'm going to ask you in a moment to lift your hand if that's you. Because when you lift your hand, you say to your own heart, I heard what I heard. That's the value of lifting your hand. It's not that I don't need it. I won't even be looking to see it. Because I want to pray over you. If you heard what you heard, then now you've got to take some steps. Father, you know these precious people. You know the things that would be the most helpful, the most life-changing for them. And I pray today your grace would overshadow them. I pray that the bit of this message that was just for them would right now come alive. And in their hearts they'd say, God, I heard you. I heard that. And I know I need to take a step. Now, Father, I'm going to talk to someone. I'm going to ask for some direction. And I pray, God, that as I take this step, what you are within me will expand. In Jesus' name. Amen. You can just uh, hold the, just in the wrong key for my voice for the moment. Just, we can come back to it just a sec. Just hold for a second. I love you, Lord. If you can find that, you can go with it. And I lift my voice to worship you, oh my soul, rejoice. Take joy, my King, in what you let it be a sweet, sweet sound in 
May God bless you today as you take uh, these, this truth and apply it in the best way that you know how. God loves you. He's for you. He's planted great stuff in you. And uh, I believe before you die, you're going to see more than you've ever seen. God bless you. Amen. Let's all stand together. We've been speaking about fruitfulness, how we can become fruitful. And uh, what a great message. What a great addition. Um, We're not going to become fruitful by just sitting down and just hoping it's going to happen. There are some disciplines. Train yourself in godliness. What a great thought. Uh, there's, there's certain things we need to do. And what a great list there. And as Alan said, maybe we just need to take one and just start to implement that one in my life and watch the change. Watch, watch, watch what begins to happen in our hearts and lives. So, Father, thank you for your word. That this word, uh, Father, bring fruit for your glory. Look, God, Father, as we leave this place, help us to think, what's that one thing we need to change? What's that one thing we need to do? What do we need to act on? I pray. And Father, we don't want to just think about what could be or might be. Father, we want to see, Father, your glory. We want to see this message bring fruit for your glory. Father, for that's the will of God for our lives. This we pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. If you have any questions, we've got the guest area at the back. There'll be a pastor there. Love to talk to you. If you'd like prayer, some of us will be here at the front. We'd love to pray with you. The rest, God bless you. You have a great week in Jesus' name. Amen.